Tonight, we're going to talk about perspective. Um, how you see the world. How you see things. Tonight's going to be a little different because I know that you're, you're thinking, I thought we were going to talk about the big issue. Everything that we're going to talk about after tonight cannot stand unless we stack it on top of this night. Your perspective. Somebody said it right. Perspective is a way that we see things. It's the way that we regard things or topics. Um, actually, last night when I was laying in bed, I was checking one of the many social medias that are out there. Um, it's kind of like, you know, what we do. Um, and I know that you do it because I see you all over it, and we're tweeting, or we're Instagram, and we're doing all that other stuff. Um, but th- there was one to where it's, first it showed, um, I, I don't know what kind of animal it showed, but then as it turned, it became an elephant's head. Have you guys seen that? Has anyone seen that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's a giraffe. That's right. And I can't see you guys. This is perfect. We have to have this light uh, for the camera. But if you guys would just shout things out, I can't see you really. So, but yeah, so the giraffe, perspective. See, if you just change your angle a little bit, you see something totally different. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about perspective um, because a lot of the things that Jesus talked to us about were designed to shape and guide our perspective. Jesus spoke in parables a lot. What do parables do? Teach a lesson. But now, is it just words, or does he create a picture? He creates a picture by telling a story. Listen to some of these things, or some, some of the ways that he shapes our perspective, uh, about some stories, some insights, or some questions. Now, this was a really big Jewish thing, the art of answering with questions. These are some things that Jesus said. You don't have to find these. We're going to hop in Scripture here in a moment. Um, but in Matthew 7, 3, it says this, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? In Matthew 16, 26, it says, What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life, or what will a man give in exchange for his life? In Luke chapter 6, 46, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? And last, the example that we have, which are so many more, is in Luke 17, I'm sorry, Luke 12, it says, if then you're not able to do a little thing, then why worry about the rest? See, all of these things, all of these, these, these questions, these insights and things, they lead us to a deeper understanding of Christ's mission. They start to let us see the character of who Christ is. What is the foundation? When I say foundation, what, 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 do you, what picture do you see in your mind? What's the foundation? A what? Don't be afraid. Someone said it. It starts with a B. They've got them all around a baseball field. Base. Yeah. It's a base. It's something that you can start building on. Tonight, I want us to start building on this foundation because as we look at these things, because here's, what, here's how your mind works. Your mind works and it creates pictures. Think about this. Now, some of you guys are, are old enough to where, like me, you have to really think back to the day that you got your driver's license. Some of you guys are looking forward to that day. Some of you guys look back, especially our seniors that are sitting over here, are looking back to the day that you first, as freshmen, walked into the halls of your high school. See, you don't remember that by an orderly, well, I got up, I brushed my teeth, I had breakfast. And then I forgot I had to brush my teeth again. Uh, you know, you don't think of it that way. What do you remember? You probably remember pictures. The first person you saw when you walked in the hall. The look on their face. 
Is this making sense? Do you guys all agree with this? That's because that's the way that your mind is made. Your mind is made for this. For me, um, there, there's, there's one big time in my life that, that I always go back to. Uh, Gabrielle was probably ugh, eight months old, uh, maybe, maybe not even a year old at this point. We had just moved into our house in Houston, Texas. Suzanne had been up a lot. This is one of the rare times that Gabrielle got up in the middle of the night. She, she's always been a sleeper to this day. Uh, and so she slept until like it was time to get up and wake up and eat some food. But so this, this night she woke up at about 3 or 4 in the morning, and she was kind of going through the spell like this. So I went and I got her out of her bed, and I went and I laid on the couch. I laid her on my chest, and I laid on the couch because, you know, I was going to steal some Z's. Guys, you'll see this one day when, when you have children of your own. You're like, hey, this is going to be a great time for me to sleep. Mom doesn't like this. She's afraid that, you know, you'll roll over on the baby and smother them or drop them in the floor. If they drop in the floor, they'll wake you up when they cry. It's okay. Um, but so, but I'll never forget, I'm laying there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to get up in like two hours. When is this kid going to go to sleep? And I, 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 I looked down at the perfect time that she kind of raised her head up. And she, with the wobbly head, looked at me and smiled. I was done. I said, sweetheart, we'll lay here all night and do nothing. See, in my memory, it's not, I don't remember getting out of the bed. I don't remember telling Suzanne, no, sweetheart, I'll get it. It was probably more like she was like, get up, it's your turn. Um, I don't remember that. I don't even remember getting Gabrielle out of the crib. I told that story because those are logical things, but my mind is shaped to where that image is grained, ingrained into my mind. That's all I see from that night. And I'll never forget it. When I got married, I remember this that I was about to throw up, um, and you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. My wife's not here, so she can't take that like personal. She's like, oh my gosh, what? Um, but... But I, I remember, and I, I, I got to go to this church. I think we took Gabrielle with us. Um, but I, and I remember standing in the front, and when the trumpets blew, the, the thing that I remember the most is looking back and seeing my wife's face and the huge smile she had on it. And I'm thinking, gosh, she has no clue who she's about to marry if she's that happy. Um, but those are things, and I know, and I'm trusting that right now, while I've talked through those things, you're like, oh yeah, I remember this, I remember this. And we've talked about positive things, but some of you guys may look back and think of some negative things, because I have those in my life as well too. But that's because that's the way that our mind is made. Why am I telling you this? So that we can start to understand exactly why Jesus taught the way he taught. Think of the Good Samaritan. If you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 22. As you're getting there, we're going to be in verse 37. We're just going to be real brief. We're going to hop over a lot of places in Scripture tonight. This is not normally the way that I preach, but there's a lot of things I want you to see. Matthew chapter 22, you've got an expert of the law that comes to Jesus. And I want to to give you this background as you're looking. The expert of the law comes to Jesus, and he says, hey, what can I do to ensure that I have eternal life? In other words, he's like, hey, I want to know how I know for certain that I'm going to heaven when I die. Well, Jesus says this to him. He says, hey, quote and interpret the law. And it's interesting. 
In Matthew 22, this is what he says. This is what he replies. It's the two greatest commandments that are found in the Bible, in Matthew. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how did Jesus reply? Someone, someone read that out to us real fast. It's in verse 28 of chapter 10 of Luke. Sorry, I had you guys turn to Matthew. Forget it, I'll, t- I'll tell you. He says this. He says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. I've told you guys this before. Do you know that all of the laws and all of the teachings and the prophets can be summed up in those two things? Love God and love people. Jesus taught that so that our perspective of God would start to change into this thing to where we love our Creator. Why? Because He first loved us. Jesus didn't say, well, you've almost got it right, that's, that's kind of right, but in Luke, where, where he's actually telling this story, um, he quoted from Matthew, so that's why I apologize. In Luke, when he said this, he says, hey, do this and you will live. First John says this, God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Your perspective of God is one of the most important things that you have in this life. Like this, how do you see God? In your relationship that you have, how do you see God? Do you see God as an angry man that's up there in heaven that's looking down on you and you're thinking he's just waiting for an opportunity to squash me dead? Or do you see God as someone who loves you unconditionally? He's got your back. Everything that he does is for your good. How do you see God? Because that is one of the most important things that shapes our perspective. Because John said, God is love. Now, John did not say that God is holy. Is that true? Yes. John did not say that God is righteous. Is that true? Yes. There's so many other words in our English language that we could use to describe God. But notice that John started with God is love. Why? Because that is what shapes our perspective and starts to build our foundation. Because if we see a loving God, then when we hear that God's holy and that God is righteous, we see that it's built on the foundation of love. One of the most important things is how you view God. Now, let's talk about love. Where's my Greek scholars out here, my Bible scholars? You know, in the Greek language, there are three words for love. What are they? Agape, phileo, eros. Good. All right, this is what they mean. Eros means romantic love, erotic love. That's where we get that word from. It's a romance. It's a a, a romantic love. Phileo, Philadelphia is called the what? The city of brotherly love. Phileo means brotherly love, but agape means it's the love that describes the love of God. And the main difference between all of these is that agape is a love that seeks nothing in return. Nothing. 
in return. That's agape love. And everything that God has done, every desire that he has, is summed up in agape love. He wants nothing in return. It was God's agape love in creation. It was God's agape love in salvation. And believe it or not, this is going to be hard to understand. How many of you guys had your, your parents when they, when they spanked you when you were little or maybe right before you came here? Uh, I'm not, not sure when the last time you got a spanking was. But they said these words. Sweetheart or young man, this is going to, say it with me if you know what, this is going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. You know what I used to say to that when the big bad Johnny Egan used to take that belt out that said Johnny across it? And it just so happened to hit me right in the butt cheek. And I would go and look. And I'm like, ah, oh, that tattoo's going to be there for a while. At 18, I didn't think that was cool. No, he didn't get a spring. It only took about two or three of those when I was young. And that's all it took. But he used to tell me that. And I used to say, well, of course, I didn't say this because you'd get more. But I used to think, what do you guys think? Then don't do it. Man, if this is going to hurt you that bad, don't hit me. I'll save you the pain gladly. But then something happened. I would say I grew up, but I'm growing up. As I'm growing up, I got married. She got pregnant. We had a daughter. That was an angel. Until that first time, they were like, whoa, holy cow, we're going to have to spank her. And her mom was like, you do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. You're more attached to her. You gave birth to her. Y'all are connected. You do it. I can't hit my baby. But you want me to? Yes. <laughs> and you go in there, and this is the side that y'all don't see. You, you, you spe- now, we, we did some things kind of weird because... You know, we're trying to live this whole Christian life. I had a pastor that was a mentor of mine. He told me to do this. So we, we sat down. Now, she's two. We sat down, I, I think. I don't remember how old you were the first time I spanked you. Where are you? Oh, she doesn't know either. Um, you get getting the one tonight then. I know. Um, but so we sat down, and we talked to her. This is what you did. Now, unfortunately, this is going to require spanking. We spanked, and while she's crying, we hold her. We we. We, we hugged her, and, and we prayed right then. And then mom and dad, big and bad, <laughs> went to the bedroom, and we're like, oh, Lord, that was so hard. My dad was right. We cried every time. I think we might have given her three spankings in her whole life. Now, some of her friends, you guys let me know, does she need more? Okay. All right, there's a yes. All right. So, but my point is this, is that even judgment that God does is out of agape love. God loves you. For those of you guys that have parents that discipline you in certain ways, they do that because they love you. It's all part of love, and we see this from God. Now, here's another thing that, that the love of God through Jesus did. It was so unique that it shocked the followers of Jesus but it also shocked his enemies. Remember in the garden, it's late or early, depending on your perspective of the day. There's that word again. They're out. The soldiers come to arrest Jesus. There's this whole big scene. This 
this guard pulls his sword out, he rears back, and he chops. I'm, I'm sorry, it's not the guard. Peter, Peter chops in protecting Jesus. This guard's ear falls off. What does Jesus do? He reprimanded Peter. Peter, no. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. What are, what are, you, what are you talking about? But they didn't stop there. Jesus, I don't know if it fell on the ground. We'll act like it did. Picks up this ear, and he, he heals this guard. That's unique. That's love. And then he does something even insane. The captor that came out to look for him, he embraced him. God's love does not make sense sometimes. Where was Paul when, he, when, when God found him through Jesus? Remember where Paul was? On where? He was on the road to Damascus. What was he going to Damascus to do? He was going to persecute Christians. That's where God found him. He showed him Jesus. That's insane love. One of the biggest enemies of the church in the day is on his way down to Damascus to persecute Christians, and then God, through Jesus, reaches out to him. That's a love that expects nothing in return. That's agape love. Paul goes on to talk about love some more. In 1 Corinthians, you guys all know this, 1 Corinthians, especially 13, that's the, 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 the love chapter that we use in weddings all the time. I've done it a lot. But here's some things that Paul talks about how he describes love in 1 Corinthians. That love is strong enough to bear all things, you know that one. That love is strong enough to overcome death itself. And that love is strong enough to give a second life to a dying humanity. Now, that is a much, much different love than what a cultural poet writes about. Because let's be honest, in a lot of the poems, love is weak and sensitive. That's not, at least one of those words is not how we describe our Creator. God is not weak. God is strong. His love is strong. That's what defines his essence. Now, if you have your Bible, go with me into John chapter 1. We've got this one right this time. We'll see if the second time around is good. John chapter 1, verse 1. As you're going there, what does that passage of Scripture say? In the beginning was what? In the beginning was the Word. What does the Word mean? In the Greek, it means logos or logos. Another type of of a definition for that word is logos can also mean meaning. Now, let me reread that using that definition. In the beginning was meaning. What was meaning? What was the meaning that was in the beginning? God's love for you. Agape love. Jesus Jesus is the bodily form of God's agape love. He sent Jesus for you. Wasn't expecting anything in return. Wasn't saying, hey, you've got to be a certain way before I'm going to send Christ. The Bible is very clear. It says explicitly that 
Even while we were still yet sinners, Christ did what for us? He died for us. What did Jesus say the two greatest commandments were? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting point I want to make here. Last night I had an opportunity to go um, and sit with some Christians from foreign countries. Um, and since we're, since we're recording and filming, I won't say where they're from, but it's, it's, they're mostly from Muslim, well, they're all from very strong, predominantly Muslim countries in the Middle East and North Africa. Completely life-changing. Just the way that they, they talked about ISIS, what ISIS is doing in their country versus what it's doing in ours, the Syrian refugees that, that are giving their life to Christ when they, when they go to this one country especially, I mean, you know, this one guy is from a very Middle Eastern country, and he says, that, and I said, hey, tell me about how, tell me about Christianity in your country. I mean, because you're a Christian. Do you have to have, like, secret churches where you, where it's like underground churches, much like they did in China, I believe, is that right? Yeah, much like in China, but he was like, oh, no. He says, we have churches in, in the middle of the city. I'm like, What? He said, oh yes, he says, we're allowed to worship and sing and praise God in our city. I'm like, you're kidding. I said, well, how do you evangelize? He said, oh no, you you don't evangelize. He says, you only evangelize if you want to go to heaven. In other words, they'll kill you in the street. But why am I telling you this story? Because he was reading this last night. He says that this is what God says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and your soul, and love your cousin as yourself. Your cousin. I thought that was interesting. See, because in the original language, it implies the family. The family of what? The family of God. All of us have been created by God. We have a single parent. So what does that make us? Family. And I thought, that is so interesting. I've never read Scripture through that lens. But he knew how important it was for us to get to know who God is. And he says that the way that we do this is that we have to study Scripture. Now notice, I didn't use the word read there on purpose. Because, guys, I'll be honest with you. When I was in school, I could read a certain thing out loud in class or in college. I could read something that someone else had wrote. And they would say, okay, so, Bob, give me, give me your thoughts on that. And I would say, I have no idea what I just read because I was not paying attention. Do you guys ever do that? Do you, do you read something and you're like, I don't even know what I just read? See, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about sit down in front of the TV with your Bible and just Okay, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. No, that's not in Scripture. Jeremiah 39. Uh, in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. In the, you know, it, that, that's reading. And guys, believe me, if that's the only thing that you can do, do that. But if you truly want to see this thing called agape love, something that you can, you can stand on in firm ground with your life, it's so much more than just reading. It's about studying the Word, getting into Scripture, because in Scripture, this is where you're going to start to see what love is really all about. Turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 
talking about love, that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, I'm sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God. That's not what love is. Not that we've loved God. But love is the fact that, that God has loved us and sent His Son, here's a big word, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. I want to read that last one again. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. You know, the Bible does this thing called transformed our life. Um, I think this past Sunday evening, I used the big seminary word. You know, they're adults. Sometimes you have to like woo them a little bit, make them think you're smarter than you are, and they're going to know really fast by watching this. I'm not. It's called sanctification. It's a process to where we go, grow. Transformation is is just a, a very easy word for us to understand what's happening. In other words, as we read Scripture, as we grow, our lives are transformed into the likeness of the character of Christ. That's the whole purpose that there is, that we read and study the Bible. As we do this, listen to this, our heart becomes like His, our thoughts become like His, and here it is. This is where we're going to start laying some foundations on the big issues. His desires become our desires. That's foundational. See, we have to have this foundation of the love of God, a growing relationship to put those things on. Because if we don't have this type of heart, if we don't have the same desires as our Creator, then we can't start stacking things on there like relationships. Um, How do we deal with pornography? How do we deal with homosexuality? How do we deal with, with whatever the case is? Lust of the eyes. Pride in the life. We can't stack those things on there unless we have a firm foundation. What is that firm foundation? An understanding that God is love. That God loves you so much that He has sent Jesus for you. That Jesus is the full manifestation of the agape love of God. It's in that that we start to grow in our thoughts, in our desires, in our mind, in our speech, and everything starts to change because God is transforming our life through the Word. It's about studying the Word. Listen to this. I love this quote that I found. God's love determines what we value, how we respond, and what actions we'll take what we value, how we respond, and what actions we'll take. You know, 
If you have a tube of toothpaste and you squeeze it really hard and the cap's off, what's going to come out? Why? Because what? Because it's what's inside of it, right? Can we agree with that? I mean, it's, it's only logical. You, you, you squeeze the tube of toothpaste, toothpaste is going to come out because that's what's inside. Friends, let me tell you what. What does your life look like when we start to squeeze it? Maybe that precious loved one that you're sitting next to right now starts to ask you to do things that you're not quite comfortable with. Maybe that friend sitting next to you wants to take you to a place on the internet that you're like, you know, my mommy and daddy wouldn't like me to go here. What's going to come out of you when all of your friends say, yo, let's go watch this movie, and you've read Plugged In, and you know it is like heinously filled with nudity and really, really bad language. What's going to come out? See, because that's what life looks like when we start to get squeezed. Now, obviously, it's not a tube of toothpaste, but what comes out? Does Jesus? Does standing up for your values and your morals? Does ending a relationship where you realize, hey, this is compromising what I want to do with my life? See, guys, that all comes from what are you grounded in and what are you grounded on? You squeeze toothpaste, a tube, and toothpaste comes out. What comes out of your life when culture starts to squeeze it? See, here's the deal. There's no shortcuts. It takes work. We're going to walk through this over these next few weeks. But salvation includes your whole body. It's your heart, your mind, and your body or your soul. All three of those things are affected by your salvation experience as you grow in Christ. In other words, the way you think changes, the things that you desire changes, and how and what you will allow yourself to do starts to change. That's your platform. And I'll give you your platform in Scripture as we close with this. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this age. What does this age say? Hey, you know what? We're going to let you practice divorce all through high school. Because you're going to date this person and you are going to break up. And you're going to get used to that. You're going to date this person. You're going to break up. Maybe some people are having casual sex with this person or that person or you're doing things that you shouldn't want to do. And you know what? You're like, hey, I've, I've not had sex. But, you know, somebody sent pictures to you and stuff like that. And you're watching that. All of that, as Matt Chandler calls it in his book, that is just practice for divorce. I'll go out and say this. Six years ago, Hannah, I think you were here. Six years ago, I stood right here and I said, don't date till you graduate. Remember that? Some of you guys do. And those that didn't like it, they're not here right now. But here's what I'll say today. Six years later as I've grown. Don't date until you have a firm foundation in your life. Nobody will ever complete you apart from Jesus. 
do not be conformed to this age. Okay, what do I do? You be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, what is pleasing, and what is the perfect will of God. Culture is doing this to you. They are squeezing you so hard. What's coming out? What's inside that comes out? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, happiness, gentleness, self-control? Because of these things, there is no law. But is it anger? Is it covetousness? Is it adultery? Is it sexual morality? As culture squeezes you, what's coming out? I don't do this often. But I will beg you tonight to not leave this room until you know that you are fully standing on firm foundation. Don't leave this room if you have stacked too many things in your life and you know that your foundation is weak. Decide tonight what those things are that you can take off of your life so that your foundation can be what you focus on and you can grow in that and then you can start putting things on there. And I'm not even talking about relationships. Ben's going to lead us in this moment. When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you've asked God for anything? This is the first Wednesday of a new year. Will it be the first Wednesday of a new you? I don't care what road you're on, what path you're on, Right now, God has shown through Scripture you can be the biggest sinner in the room, which would be hard to believe because I am that person, I can assure you. But you can think that you're the biggest sinner in the room and God is still standing metaphorically in heaven like this, saying, come home. Come home. Why are you doing this? Take my hand. Take my hand and come home. I'll teach you everything that you need to know in the scriptures, in godly counsel. Won't you come home tonight? As Ben leads us, Father, I pray that tonight.